Lord Jesus, we come before you and acknowledge that you alone have the words of eternal life. You alone can speak into our hearts and into our lives. And I, I pray right now that you would minister to each and every one of us, to those of us who are on Zoom uh, and not physically present, but they are present with us via the internet. We ask that you would bless them. We ask that you would bless each and every person here. Uh, and Lord, that we would know that we are abiding in the very presence of the Lord. And so, God, I pray that you would give me clarity of word, of thought, and of speech this morning, that we would understand all that you are, are saying from the word, that you give to us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of these things. So we ask your blessing upon everything that's said and done. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Pastor, take as much time as you want to. Praise God. Thank you. There might only be you and I left. We can have a ball. Hallelujah. Praise God. Um, you know, I, I came across... Uh, uh, oh, let, let's, just, let's just say uh, on the count of three, we say uh, a welcome Zoomers. Yeah. One, two, three. Welcome Zoomers! Hallelujah. Praise God. It's good to, uh, to be in the presence of the Lord. And God be moving in a lovely way this morning. I, I want to, to share something... Uh, that I haven't shared on for a little while. Um, I want to talk to you this morning about the subject of spiritual warfare. Uh, and it's a time of battle. <laughs> yeah. Praise God. But I, I, in my research, I came across this very important story uh, that I wanted to share with you. It's about an old geezer. Uh, do you guys know an old geezer is in, in, in this country? It's an old fella, huh? It's an old He's a bit like Shay. He's an old fella. Oh, dear. So I, I want to read this, this account to you about an old geezer who'd been retired from drain laying for a long time. He became very bored and decided to open a medical clinic. As you do. He put up a sign outside that said, Dr. Geezer's Clinic. Get your treatment for $500. If you're not cured, I'll give you $1,000 back. I can see problems here. Dr. Young, who was a highly trained medical doctor, was pretty sure that old geezer didn't know anything about medicine. So he saw it as a chance to make $1,000. This is what happened. He walks in and says to Dr. Geezer, I lost my taste, in, uh, all my taste in my mouth. Uh, can you please help me? Dr. Geezer says, sure, nurse, please bring the medicine from box 22 and put three drops in Dr. Young's mouth. Immediately the doctor cries out and says, Ah, sis, that's gasoline. <laughs> we got it. Dr. Giza says, Congratulations, you've just got your taste buds back. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Young was very annoyed. Now, he, so he thought up another scheme to get his money back. So he goes back to the doctor and says, I've completely lost my memory. I can't remember a thing. Old Dr. Giza turns to the nurse and says, Please bring the medicine from box 22 and put three drops in the patient's mouth. <laughs> Dr. Young cries out, oh no you don't, <laughs> that's gasoline. <laughs> Congratulations, you've Dr. just got your memory back, $500 please. You can Dr. Young having lost $1,000, leaves mad as a snake. And so he comes back and he says, uh, after a couple of days, he says, I've lost my eyesight. They become so weak I can hardly see. Can you help me? Dr. Giza says, oh, well, I'm afraid I don't have any medicine for that. So here's your thousand dollars. Dr. Young comes out and says, hold on, this is only five hundred dollars. Congratulations, you just got your eyes open. 
That would be five hundred dollars, please. Praise God. If you get your Bibles with you, I'd like to encourage you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to look at a few important verses uh, from uh, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. It says, finally, and of course when you see that, it means absolutely nothing when a preacher says that. You know, Paul introduces a whole new subject of, of, of uh, spiritual warfare uh, from chapter uh, verse 10 onwards. So, anyway. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, yeah. and take the helmet of salvation and the yeah. sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto unto all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. I want to start this morning... And uh, talk to you about being strong in the Lord. You know, sometimes when, when you talk about the subject, people can be fearful or intimidated. And so uh, I want you to look at a couple of things that God says. We don't need to be afraid of the devil. Can you say amen? amen. You know, we don't need to be intimidated. We are the people of power. Yeah. We are the ones that are anointed with the Holy Spirit. We are the ones with authority. And that's really what we're going to be looking at this morning. God has delegated his authority to us. Remember when he said to the disciples before he went back to he said, All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Go therefore. You know what that is? That's delegated authority. God has all power in heaven and earth. And he says, go. In other words, we're going in the authority that Christ has given to the church. Of all power in heaven and earth. That's what, we, that's what we're ministering. Uh, we are Christ ambassadors with all the authority of heaven behind us. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Too? It's glorious to know that the devil can't intimidate us any longer. The Bible says that we have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. Yes. Whatever we loose yes. on earth is loosed in heaven. Yeah. We have that kind of authority. Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, He said, Behold, Remember when you see that word, look carefully, look and learn, because there's something remarkable and impressive here. And he says, Behold, I give unto you power uh, to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, yes. and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Yes. Jesus said that we have uh, power over all the power of the enemy. That's a glorious day. Think about this. We need to operate that. We need to renew our minds and understand we're no longer to be intimidated. Amen. We're no longer to be pushed around. No. Yep. We're no longer, to, no longer under the devil's control. Yep. We are the ones in authority. Mm. And all power and all authority has been given unto the believer. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. That, I thought that deserved a better amen. Yeah. Than <laughs> so when Christians realize who they are in Christ... The devil trembles. The kingdom of darkness is thrown into turmoil. The devil doesn't have to just deal with Christ. Think about it. When, when, when Christ was on earth, he was alone. 
He was the son of... But now that Christ is resurrected, that we are here, we are anointed. So the anointing that you receive of him abideth on, upon you. The same Holy Spirit that was upon Jesus now rests upon every believer. And the works that Jesus does, we shall do also. And so we've seen that Satan had a headache with handling Jesus, but now he has Jesus times 1 billion point seven, one point seven billion Christians. Anointed believers Amen. with authority and yes. power. Thank you, Lord. Man, the kingdom of darkness is in trouble. Can you say amen? So, Jesus said, The works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these. Think about it. This is, what, this is the destiny for every single one of us. If you haven't got a miracle uh, in the name of the Lord yet, I want to say to you, what's wrong? What are you waiting for? I want to go to the Lord and hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, because I've preached the gospel, I've told people how to get saved, and I've prayed for the sick, and I've seen miracles take place. I've got about 17 miracles that God has used uh, that, that I lift before the Lord, and I'm grateful to the Lord for that. But I want us all to be moving in the power of the Spirit. I want all of us to be moving in the miraculous power. <laughs> that when we stand before Jesus, you can say, Lord, this is what we did for you. Yeah, right. So, very important. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 9, 1. Listen to these words very carefully. Then he called the, the 12 disciples. Who are the 12 disciples? Let's just ask that first. The followers of Jesus. Would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, the followers of Jesus are the, are the 12 disciples. Would you consider yourself to be a disciple? Yes. yes. Amen. So, listen. This is, I believe that in the context, Jesus is saying this to the church. Then he called his 12 disciples, his followers together, and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Man, there's no demon in hell that can stop you from making progress. Mm-hmm. The lies of the enemy can be uprooted and cast from your life. Amen. Because we have been given all power over all devils. So, this is what it means to be strong in the Lord and the power of His mind. This is what Paul is saying. Understand who you are in Christ. Understand that you are a person of power, authority, and anointing that is going to turn the world upside down. You know, that's what the early church did. I want to see the latter church do the same thing. Maybe we'd have to turn the world Praise God. So that's what it means to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. The truth is, we are overcomers. We are more than conquerors with Christ. There's nothing that can take. Greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. Amen. Folks, we are filled with such power and authority, and yet we, we, we tend to lose sight of them. We think it slips from our thinking. Mm. Monday morning when we get up, we've forgotten. And the enemy has a, a, has a field day because we've forgotten that he is under our feet. You know, this subject about spiritual warfare is not meant to frighten or intimidate us. It ought to encourage us. It ought to say, hey, I, I recognize what Jesus has done for me and that nothing can stand in my way. There's no hindrance that the enemy can put up. There's no demonic power that can bind me. I have all authority over everything that the devil has to do. We have power to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, and cast out demons. Hallelujah. What a glorious inheritance mm. we have. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, Amen. folks. We are so rich 
Yes. We've got to start moving in what Jesus. God has for us. Moving in the authority. Start doing signs and wonders. Signs and wonders follow those that believe. Mm. Folks, I challenge you. If you haven't got a miracle in your life, where's the signs and wonders? It says signs and wonders follow them. You know, if you haven't got a, a, a miracle, grab hold of the next sick person you see, lay hands upon them and command them in Jesus' yes. name. Be healed. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's fun. It's awesome. It's awesome. I really believe that this is a challenge to us. You know, when, uh, when you see somebody on, on the street begging, uh, give them something to eat, pray for them, give them the gospel, and pray that God's uh, power and anointing. Uh, don't just walk on by. Signs and wonders follow them that believe. Can anybody praise the Lord this morning? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, when we speak about spiritual warfare, it's about that there's a the battle against spiritual wickedness, against the powers of darkness. This is the battle in the heavenlies. <coughs> Excuse me. If we understand the scriptures correctly, there are two forces at work in the world. There's the power of God and there's the power of devil. And I think that we, if, if the church really understood who they were in God, and really begin to exercise that authority and begin to walk in that authority, we would see greater victory, greater anointing. I believe that we would see revival starting to come to the church. I believe that there'd be a new life when people are getting saved, when people are getting delivered. Thank you, Sandy, for your testimony about God's deliverance. It's the power of the gospel. Amen. It should be normal to experience that kind of life. Revival doesn't start until we go out and revive someone. Amen. Praise God. You know, the spiritual warfare is, is really, the, the, in the heavenly places, uh, is, is the battle that we really ought to be talking about. It's the real Star Wars. You know? It's the battle in the heavenly, not George Lucas, it's Jesus Christ and the cross. Amen? That's really what it's all about, the, the real Star Wars and, and, and the battle in the heavenlies. I want to say this morning that I was reading something about Dr. Archer, and uh, I, I agree with some of what he says, and this, this is the part I agree with. He points out that there are branches of the church that dismiss this concept as sheer fantasy and folly. There are people that, uh, who don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in the spiritual realm. They live a very ordinary uh, Christian, inverted commas, life. And they've been around about with us since the time of Jesus Christ. Did you know that the, the Pharisees didn't believe in the life after death? They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in miracles. They were having a really rough time, and that's why they were sad, you see. Oh, oh, okay. oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh that's a very old one. But you know, today there are some Christians that don't believe in the reality uh, of spiritual warfare. Others are absolutely terrified by it. They don't, you know, if you, if you showed, uh, uh, I remember many years ago, we were, we were preaching uh, in, in Africa, and devils started to manifest. I lost half my congregation. I thought, where are you guys? We've got work to do here. They were out of there, because they didn't know their authority. You know, and, and, and so God, God delivered them, praise God. But, uh, you know, people ran out the door because they were intimidated. They, it, suddenly, the theory of demons became reality when they started to manifest in the meetings I was holding. It was, whoa, I'm out of here. But we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be intimidated because of what Jesus has done for us. Hallelujah. I remember uh, there was a, uh, one of those meetings, uh, 
and I was talking about how we, you know, we'd give the devil a hard time, and the man came up to me afterwards, and he said to me, and, and, and he was he was genuine and he was sincere, very loving, and he came up and he said, um, you know, I just want you to know that uh, you you need to be careful when you speak about the devil like that. Um, because if you do that, then uh, he, he's going to come after you. You have your guts for goddess. I looked at him and I said, thank you, friend. I said, I've got a message for you. I said, let him come. I'm submitted unto God. I resist the devil and he is going to flee from me. Amen. This man didn't know the Bible. He didn't know the scriptures. That's exactly what it says in the, in the book of James, chapter 4 and verse 7. Submit yourselves unto God, resist the devil, and he will what? It's very interesting. I went into that word free. What's it actually mean? It's the Greek word fugo. You know, you came to church tonight, you hear about fugo. Okay, I know you did. It means to run or to escape or to take flight. And from the earliest times, this word fugo is associated in Greek literature uh, with with a a lawbreaker, a criminal who flees. Uh, from the law. He, feel, he flees uh, because he doesn't want to be prosecuted. He doesn't want to face the consequences of his actions. So he flees. He literally runs for his life in terror, trying to escape. That's the definition of this word fuga. <coughs> the devil understands. When, the, when we understand our authority in Christ, when we understand that we are the anointed, he knows that yeah. uh, we are going to prosecute him mm-hmm. and make him face the consequences of his action. Mm-hmm. And the devil says, oh, I'm out of here. I don't want to face the consequences. Yeah. But that's the power that the church, that every single believer has. We can prosecute those, uh, the devil and send him running. So the devil understands better than the church in some cases who the boss is. Who is the boss? It's Jesus and associates. Jesus and associates. You and I yes. are Jesus' associates. The works that I do shall you do also yes. exist. Amen. And greater works than the things I do. The devil is terribly intimidated from the, about when he comes face to face with a Christian who knows who they are in Christ. <coughs> Ephesians 6.12, let's look at it. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This verse makes it very clear that we are not to fight with our husbands, um, our wives, or our boss, or our neighbor. You know, we're not, we're not supposed to fight against one another, amen? Oh, gee, you're in trouble. Okay. So we're not to fight against flesh and blood, but against uh, the, the principalities and powers of darkness. That's who we wrestle against. This is a spiritual battle. This is really speaking about spiritual warfare. The principalities and powers, and it's against the rulers of darkness. The devil and his cronies, the unseen forces, come with one express purpose. To kill, to steal, and to destroy. That's their, that's their goal. That's their objective. And they'll come against your marriage. They'll come against your, your business, your finances, your health. That's what they've come to do. That's where the real battle lies. You know, even the great Apostle Paul had to deal with this. Do you remember what he said in 1 Thessalonians 2.18? Let me read it to you. Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. 
This was the confrontation. Paul was going out preaching the gospel, uh, proclaiming, setting the prisoners free, uh, giving people saved, healed, and delivered. And he wanted to go to Thessalonica, and the devil prevented it. Uh, the word for hinder is the Greek word is incocto. And incocto means to, to, to bind and to, to resist, and, and, and specifically to impede or to detain. So I thought, I'm not exactly sure what the word impede means. I have a general understanding of it. It uh, means to sort of stop it, be a hindrance. So I looked it up. To impede means to delay, to prevent, to obstruct, or to hamper. So put it in context. This is what Paul was saying to the Thessalonians. Paul was hampered, obstructed, and prevented by Satan from his mission. You know, there is a battle. And, uh, you know, God has given us the victory. But how many have been around long enough to know that that, that is not a, a carte blanche? We don't win every battle. But we will win the war. Can you amen. say amen? Amen. And so this is what Paul was dealing with. We are going to win the war because we have all power and authority. <coughs> and here is clear evidence of the spiritual battle that's taking place all around us. I'd like to pause for a moment to just draw your attention to a spiritual principle that's found in the scriptures that's very important. And I bring in, believe that will help us to understand the subject really clearly. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 46. It said this. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after the spiritual. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. So you can look back in, in the Old Testament, and you can see what, what they experienced in the natural, and draw a spiritual consequence from it. Yeah. After that comes the spiritual. You look back, you see in the natural, the wars they fought uh, for the nation of Israel were symbolic of the battles that we will fight in the New Testament, mm. except we're not fighting flesh and blood. Yeah. But we can look back and we can gain insight and revelation as to how this actually transpires. It's telling us that we can look back at the natural battles and see spiritual reality. I want to draw your attention to 2 Kings 6. I haven't got time to go through it all, but I'd encourage you to read it when you get home. Wonderful passage of scripture. But uh, it really is uh, uh, about the king of Syria who's trying to, to capture uh, Jerusalem and, and make the, the Jewish people suffer. And uh, do you remember he was being constantly defeated because of that great man of God called Robbie Burns? No, I mean, uh, called, called Elisha. I would love to walk in Elisha's shoes. Elisha would go to the king in, uh, 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 of Israel and said, don't go down there because the Syrians have set an ambush. And he thwarted the Syrians' plans time and time again. Amen? Amen. You remember that story? And so we, we see that uh, every trap that the Syrians set, God delivered his, his people. He exposed the plan of the enemy. And time and again, God was fighting for his people Delivering. Isn't that wonderful? Our God exposed the traps of the enemy and brought deliverance to those people, to the people of God. Thank you. So that, that's, that's what we see. But there's more to, more to this, this story than, than just that wonderful truth. The king of Syria eventually worked out. He found out who was betraying. He thought there was somebody in his group that was betraying him. He said, no, uh, it's the prophet, it's the man of God who is telling the king of Israel all your plans and even the things that you say in your bedchamber is being exposed. And so all your plans are being exposed by him. So the king of Assyria gets a brainwave. Uh, he, he was a smart guy. He said, well, if I take Elisha out, 
then the king is not going to get his, his intelligence and will be able to overcome him. So he decides that he's going to send a great host, the Bible says. He's going to send a great host uh, down to, to capture um, Elisha. Now, that word uh, in, in the Hebrew is very interesting. Uh, the great host is the Hebrew word hail. And hail is better translated a great army. So this wasn't just a, a lot of people going down. This was a great army, hail, a mighty force that was going down to capture the, the prophet Elisha. You think about that for a second. They're sending an entire army to capture one man. <laughs> Why? Because who was Elisha? Elisha was the servant of Elijah. And do you remember when, when the, there was trouble with the king and Elijah uh, uh, was uh, confronted by the king's soldiers that came to, to come and arrest him? And they said, oh, man of God, you're going to come with us. He said, if I be a man of God, I'm going to call down fire. No more, no more soldiers. And that happened time and time again. And then the, finally the guy comes and he says, look, have mercy upon my soul. Please, I, I know that you're a man of God. I don't, know, I don't want to be barbecued. Please have mercy upon me. So finally Elijah goes and sees the king. And I think it was that background that, that the king of Syria was painfully aware of. And so he doesn't just send a large group of people. He sends the entire army to capture Elisha, the one, the, the one guy. And so it's very interesting. As we begin to look at this, we'll see what, what goes on. Uh, really, the king of Assyria is not taking any chances. The entire army sneaks up under the cover of darkness and surrounds the place where Elisha is staying. Poor old Gehazi. He's the servant of Elisha. He wakes up early one morning. You can read about it in 2 Kings uh, uh, 6.15. Uh, he wakes up early and he, he goes obviously to get water or whatever as the servant to, to prepare him. There's no mention of what Elisha's doing. I suspect that at this particular time that Elijah or Elisha is seeking the face of God because of what transpires next. And uh, Gehazi, Elisha's servant, goes out, and he walks out, and immediately looks up, and he says, oh, we're in trouble. Uh, there, there's an entire army that has surrounded him, and, uh, and he hits the panic button. You know, he's running around like a chicken on the head, and he says, oh, my Lord, what shall we do? And he's really concerned, uh, and, and having real difficulties with, with all that taking place. He sees this massive army, and he realizes, hey, there's, you know, they've come for us, uh, and he, I think, had a sneaking suspicion as to why they were there. Elisha appears on the scene, and he's cool. Elisha's such a cool guy. He comes on, and he says, don't be afraid, man. He says, those that be for us are more than those that are against us. You know, in my mind's eye, I can just see this taking place. Uh, Elijah, Elisha's servant, Gohazi, must have done this. Those that are for us, more than against My master's having a break with reality. All I see is him and I. You know, it's really, you know, that's all he can see. And he said, hey, the, the, those are before. Man, get a grip. Elisha, get a grip. There's an entire army. Who knows what they're going to do to us when, when they come for us? We're in trouble here. Elisha's so cool. He says in verse 17, And Elisha prayed to the Lord, O Lord, open his eyes. And the Lord opened his eyes, and he looked. And he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire. Hallelujah. He saw the angelic host that had come down. 
Man, Elijah was praying when Gehazi opened the door. When he went down, he, yeah, is the results of Elisha's prayer. The, the spiritual army appears, and we see, he sees the invisible battle. This is the spiritual warfare that's going on. And folks, I think sometimes we need to understand what God is saying to us. When we find ourselves in trouble, when we think, man, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this, we need to recognize there are more that are for us than are against Amen. us. Amen. If God be for you, who can be against Amen. you? You know, we've got, we've got the, the winning vote. And so it's very important that we understand all that is happening. So at this particular point, the entire Syrian army begins to advance on Elisha and his servant. Poor old Gehazi. In the natural, they're just the two of them. And uh, against thousands, and the showdown's about to commence. I think Elijah must have been having some fun. Because he's been in the presence of God. Poor old Gehazi's really concerned about what's going on here. He sees the army coming down, and Elisha's just waiting there, and just waiting. And at the last possible minute, uh, Elisha prays and says, Lord, strike him with brandus. And suddenly the entire Syrian army is tripping over themselves. They're stumbling, they're dazed, they're confused. They can't see a thing. They're struck with blindness in answer to Elisha's prayer. You can't fight an enemy you can't see, amen? Amen. No, 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 no. We, this is what the whole message is about, about the invisible army. <laughs> okay, I'll let you do it, I'll let you do it, I'll be And so... Uh, but this is what happened from, from Gehazi's point of view. He got into trouble. Uh, as it happened. And so the army stumbling around. They're dazed. They're bewildered. They're confused. Suddenly they were seeing. And in an instant, they're blind. And you know the story how Elisha takes the whole army captive. <laughs> Incredible. Isn't that what God promised back in Deuteronomy? Yeah. He said, one will chase a thousand, two will chase ten thousand. And here was an entire army coming down against the man of God who knew his authority, and he said, be blind. God struck him with blindness, and suddenly the entire army is taken captive because of the prayers of one man. Mm. Apply that spiritually. Man, when we understand, when we start to pray, we cause havoc in the spiritual uh, realms. When you start to pray, believing prayers, things begin to happen. And everyone said, Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Really important that we see that. You know, the whole army was taken captive by Elisha, by one man. You know what happened to the Assyrians? They gave up. They said, we can't fight this. You know, we, we're going home. We, we, we can't do, deal with this. We can't fight this. And it demonstrates that the greatest battle is in the heavenlies. Win that battle and, and, and you win the war. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, if we will start to pray seriously and, and, and start to confess the word of God and begin to believe that the things we say have power and authority in this world, our world will change. Yes. Amen? Amen. Yes. Our world will, we will see progress made in the spirit like never before. Yes. It's Amen. really important that we do this. These things just gave up. This we never come, and they never came back to the land. With total victory. This should encourage every intercessor and stir our faith for our breakthrough. Yes. You are being opposed right now. There's something that the enemy wants to do. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And I could almost guarantee that there, in, in our lives there's something going on that you need a breakthrough for. Amen? Amen. And if we will begin to take this 
battle to, to the enemy in the spirit yeah. and start to exercise the authority when Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever right. you lose is going to be loose in heaven. Mm-hmm. We will see a change and we will walk yeah. in the victory that God intends the church to dwell in. The real battle is in the heavenlies. Okay, let's go back to, to our, our verse. Uh, we, we, we're not, we're not going to finish this verse today, uh, so we, we'll probably finish it uh, next week or whatever. But it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is the spiritual battle against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That word, high places, is the Greek word epiranios. And Epiranius is, is, it talks about, is defined as being above the sky, or in the celestial heavens, or in, uh, the, 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 in the heavenly places. This is where the battle is taking place. The Epiranius, the battle is fought in, above the sky, in the heavenlies. And if we will understand that we, we need to do more constant battle against the princes of darkness, mm-hmm. we will walk in greater victory mm-hmm. and experience greater breakthrough and all the blessings of God amen. chasing us down and overtaking us. Can you say amen? amen. So, this is where the, the, the warfare takes place. These are the lessons for believers drawn from the Old Testament. Let me give you one more verse from 1 Corinthians 10 11. It says, These things happened to them, the Old Testament saints. If you look at it in context, it's about the Old Testament. As examples, and were written down for us as warnings upon whom the fulfillment of the age has come. How many believe that we're living in, in, in the end times? Oh, this is the fulfillment of the age. This, this scripture is really written to us. And he said, those things in the Old Testament are written as warnings for us. They're there to inspire us and to show us the real, real, real reality that we can deal with. And so it becomes very important that we understand both, both the covenants. But thank God we have an even greater covenant than the Old Testament covenant. Eh? Amen. 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 So, our examples, are, they're written for us. Perhaps this will become even clearer as we look at spiritual warfare in the book of Daniel. Beautiful, beautiful account there. It's like when you go in, into the book of Daniel, it's like the veil has been torn apart. And we see the reality of what's really taking place in the heavenly places, in the Epiranius. It's, it's in, the, in, the, in the spirit that's taking place. We see the angelic warfare that's going on behind the scenes between the, the angels of God and the fallen angels of the devil. This is the battleground. And it's powerfully revealed in, in, in this, this account in Daniel chapters 9 and 10. It all started, if you remember, in chapter 9, when God reveals uh, to, uh, to Daniel the, the, about the Messiah coming and his death and the, and the time of, of destruction that was going to follow upon the Jews. And you can read about it in, 9, in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. That gives you some background as to when this is all taking place. It's really a revelation of the end times. But Daniel is shocked and he's traumatized. What's going to happen to Israel after Christ is killed? You know, this, this was a real revelation to him because, man, the Messiah is coming, but he's going to die. What? And so he's traumatized. What's going to happen to Israel if the Messiah is killed? And he wants to find out. And so he begins to seek God. He begins to pray. And the Bible says, from the first day that Daniel began to seek the Lord, God dispatched an angel with the answer. 
from the very first day. But if you know the account, you'll, you'll be aware that he didn't get his answer for 21 days. Because, yes, the prince of Persia stood up and resisted the angel. The, 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 the word angel actually means messenger. And there are ranks of angels. There are messengers. There are, there are angels and there are archangels. That, those are warring angels. So there's an angelic hierarchy. And, and this is a messenger who was sent in response to uh, Daniel's inquiry as to what is going to happen to Israel after the Messiah has come up. And he's resisted for 21 days. Okay, but he eventually went because God sends reinforcement. But Michael comes and, and uh, reinforces him and he breaks through and he's able to come to Daniel. And that, so the, the, the Prince of Persia, some will tell you that the Prince of Persia was a man. Okay, but I don't believe it is. And here's the reason uh, this, I believe this is a fallen angel. Uh, do you remember back in the Old Testament when the, there was an account uh, of the, uh, the, the attack that was happening in Jerusalem and uh, uh, Sennacherib was uh, going to destroy the city of God and uh, they were all for formulated around there and uh, uh, Isaiah stands up and he prophesies. He says, man, uh, you know, God's going to destroy you and an angel was dispatched and in one night... 185,000 Assyrians were destroyed by one angel. I don't believe that this angel that was resisting uh, Daniel was a man. I believe he was an angel, uh, a fallen angel, and uh, God, this uh, Prince of Persia was uh, not a man, he was a fallen angel. That's why he was able to delay the messenger from God. If he had just been an ordinary man, I don't believe that this man had a hope in, in delaying mm. the messenger of God. Mm. He wouldn't dare to see the messenger of God. <laughs> exactly. So I really believe that this is really a picture of the angelic warfare. Um, remember what Paul says, you know, we wrestle against principalities and powers. Mm. Let me ask you, what is a kingdom? A kingdom is an area where a king rules and reigns. Amen? Amen. So what is a principality? A principality is a place where a prince rules and reigns. And so we, we are doing battle against principalities and powers. We are, there are areas that are assigned to, to these demons. Um, so what are these principalities? What, what are they? Daniel chapter 10 and verse 20 has a very interesting insight. The angel says to Daniel, he says, do you know why I've come to you? And you know, you have to read a little bit in between the lines. Daniel nods his head, doesn't say a word. But, you know, the answer to the affirmative is affirmative. Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia and against the prince of Greece who will come. There are fallen angels, I believe, that are assigned to countries. Persia, Greece. It goes on uh, to say in, 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 uh, in uh, Daniel chapter 12, 1, talking about this battle that's going on in the heavens. It says, at that time, Michael, the, the mighty angelic prince, who stands up over the nations, of, and over your nation. So who, which nation would that be? That would be the nation of? Israel. Israel, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And will stand up and fight for you in, in heaven against these satanic forces. And so we've got scripture for saying there's, there's, the, the angel Michael is going to be standing over uh, Israel. You've got the prince of Persia uh, who's got his, his domain, uh, his principality, and the prince of Greece. I believe that they are assigned, the devil's no fool. 
He may be a defeated foe, but he's no fool. Okay? And so he's got this hierarchy. He's got a scheme, a, a strategy. And we'll see that in, in, a, uh, in a little while when we talk about the, uh, the, 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 the methods of the devil. It's the Greek word methodia. That's where we get our method, the word method from. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I want us to see that there are assigned places, principalities over nations uh, that have a, a, a demonic stronghold. And God has got his angels assigned there too. We see that Israel is Michael. Michael is an archangel. He's a warring angel. One of the most powerful angels in the scripture is watching over the nation of Israel. You know, they're, they're angels. Wherever the devil's got a uh, men assigned or angels assigned, the scriptures reveal that, that, that God has his angels too. And hence, there is a battle going on in the heavenlies. And that's where our prayers come in. This whole thing started because Daniel started to pray and to ask God what was going on. So our prayers can be involved in, in the area of spiritual warfare. Can you say amen? Amen. Okay. So, having said that, um, I remember, it, it's strange, maybe some of you have experienced this. Uh, this is uh, totally subjective. You can disregard it if you like. But, uh, you know, we used to live in, in Rhodesia, and we used to go on holiday, and we had to cross the Limpopo River. And it was an amazing thing. We noticed it year after year. Uh, we'd go on the bridge, and, and uh, there was a halfway point, and, and the, the road surface, the tar, actually changed, because the, the South Africans had, uh, had laid down the tar this way, and the Rhodesians had laid down the and they met in the middle of the bridge. And you know how you, you, when, when you can hear the difference in tar when you go uh, over different surfaces? You can hear it in the tires. Mm. And we would, go, we would go on holiday, and, we'd be, and as we crossed over into the South African side, we know because immediately the, the sound of the, the, the car engine changed. And there was an amazing feeling. There was a different feeling. I, and, you know, thinking back, I, I thought, well, you're coming under a different principality. Mm. Now, yeah, you, you can accept that or reject that, I don't no, mind. But I it, it seemed very real to me and, yeah. and always had it. But um, I want to draw your attention to this. This is the most important fact that we need to, to consider this morning. That the devil is a rebel holder of authority. The devil uh, has, has no right to rule and reign. Satan uh, is, for, is a fallen angel uh, and man has power over him. Uh, redeemed man. A man, natural man has no power over the devil. I love what uh, Dr. David Jeremiah said. He says, Lucifer is one of God's fallen angels, a magnificent being. And certainly before he fell, he was a magnificent being. And you can read about uh, uh, Lucifer's fall in uh, uh, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And you can go through those scriptures at your own. But let me just draw your attention to a couple of verses that speaks about uh, Lucifer. It says, the prophet described him as having the seal of perfection. It's almost like me. No. <laughs> I have no seal and I have no perfection. <laughs> okay. But he says that the devil had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So he was beautiful to behold and, and he was uh, really wise and powerful. It says every precious stone was his covering. He was, anointed, he was the anointed cherub that covers the glory. Do you remember the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament, the manifestation of God, where God dwelt in the, in, the, in the Holy of Holies? There were angels that covered the glory. Mm -hmm. Satan 
was one of those angelic beings that covered the glory. And it goes on to say this in Ezekiel 28 and verse 15. It said, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity and guilt were found in you. And Isaiah tells us that, that, you know, that he became so intoxicated with his own beauty and his own sense of wisdom and power that he wanted to become like God. He wanted to take God's place. And we, we, in Isaiah 14, we, we have the I wills of Satan. Remember that? Uh, he said, you know, I, I want to ascend on high and uh, sit on the throne. And, and he has all the I wills of Satan mentioned in Isaiah 14 until he was cast out of heaven. It's really interesting. The name Lucifer means light bearer or bringer of light. And in the occult, they still consider him to be Lucifer, the bringer of light and, and wisdom and intelligence. They take all their, their knowledge from Lucifer. But the Bible says uh, that when he was cast out of heaven, God gave him a new name and he became Satan. And he became the devil. And those words actually have a meaning. It means that they are the adversary the attacker, the arch enemy of all that was good. So no longer is he the bringer of light. He's, he, uh, he inspires the occult because they're, they're living in darkness and they see his ways of being, uh, bringing light. So in the natural, without Christ, man is no match for the devil. Can you say that? Mm-hmm. You know, even as believers, you know, if, if we don't know what we, uh, we are, who we are in Christ, it might be ours, but if we're not utilizing it, we can be intimidated yeah, by the devil. Right. Mortal man is no match for an angel, let alone the prince of fallen angels. So how can the Bible say that we have power over the devil? Well, we're going to get into that because it's really important. Because mortal man, uh, one angel is said 185,000 men, so how do we get this place where uh, we come against the prince of fallen angels and overcome him? The Bible says in Ephesians 2.2, 2, it says, He calls the devil the prince of the power of the air. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 talks about him as the god of this world. And so we, we, we see that he, he has power and authority. He usurped that power uh, uh, when Adam committed treason, didn't he? And he obeyed the devil instead of God. He ate the fruit when he should have said no and banished the devil. So he listened to God. He the devil then usurped that power and after Adam committed treason and when he obeyed the devil rather than God. Remember, God makes the world in the fullness thereof. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. Yes. And he gave Adam dominion over the work of his hands. In other words, Adam was effectively the ruler of this world <coughs> until the day that he became Satan's servant. Well, how did that happen? The Bible tells us, Romans chapter 6 and verse 16, it says, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants you are, to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. Adam disobeyed God, and ate of the fruit. He should have exercised his authority, amen? He should have sent the devil packing. But he never did. And as a result of that, uh, he fell, and, and because he listened uh, to the devil, he became the devil's servant. Listen to that scripture again. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are, 
whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. A very important verse of scripture. But Christ came to restore the damage done in the Garden of Eden. Aren't you glad about Amen. that? Amen. Christ came to restore all the damage done in the Garden of Eden. The fall of man, where the devil usurped the power and began to be the ruler of this world. That's why Jesus came. That was his stated purpose. 1 John 3, 8, the second part of this is, For this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. Why did he need to do that? Because he became the ruler of this world when, when Adam committed high treason and uh, became his servant. That's why Jesus came. And at the resurrection of Christ, Jesus, the last Adam, destroyed the works of darkness. Hallelujah! Amen. Anybody excited about Hallelujah. that? Hallelujah! Amen! He destroyed the works of darkness. He won back all that Adam had lost in the garden. Jesus came to destroy the devil's right to rule in our life. Okay, so Christ destroyed the power of the devil, dethroned him, and because of that, you and I get to rule and reign over the devil. Amen. You and I get to exercise the authority that Jesus had, mm. and we now can rule over the devil. In the natural, before, before the resurrection, that wasn't possible, but because of this, yes, we can. Listen to what it says. I love this, and I get excited every time I read the, these verses. Colossians chapter 2, 13 through 15. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of, flesh, of your flesh hath he quickened together with him. Having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting and ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out the way, nailing it to his cross. Amen. You know, there isn't one thing that the devil can look at your life and accuse you of. Jesus paid for it all. Jesus has absolutely no unsettled claims. Absolutely. Then he goes on to say, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Hallelujah. The resurrection changes everything. It's amazing what God does. You see, there's a Greek word I want to draw your attention. It says, triumphing over in and it's the, the, the Greek word three three and viewer. Okay, three and viewer. Uh, it's, it's, it's like, three and uh, don't ask me how to spell it. I, I spelled it phonetically because three and viewer. And 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 loosely translated it means a, a, a joyful procession. Okay? And it really speaks uh, about uh, the, the Roman uh, march of tri- triumphant procession. What happened in Rome is a matter of history was that whenever a defeated army uh, was conquered, they would, they would be taken to Rome to display to the, to the Roman population. And there was a fantastic, um, triumphant arch where all the generals would, would stand in, in, in their chariots and, and would ride into the city. And the, the defeated kings would be stripped naked and humiliated and tied and dragged behind their conqueror. That's what happened. But more than that, we see in, 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 uh, according to history that when, when these kings, and, and as they were going and the, the Romans would heap insults upon them and, and, and abuse was, was upon them. But what happened then is they, they came and they, they cut their thumbs off on both hands and they cut their toes off. And there was a purpose behind that. It wasn't just symbolic. The purpose was this, that if you have your thumbs cut off, you cannot wage war. Remember, you hold a sword, but this is the thing that holds the sword f- 
firmly. You can hold it like that, but you've got no power. As soon as you hit it, it comes out your hands. You need a thumb. And that's why they remove the thumb. You need your thumb, your, your toes to run. Yes. You, can, you can walk after a fashion. Do you remember when, when, when Branson was having the, those problems with him? He could walk, but it was really difficult for him yes. after they removed his toes. That was one thing. Yes. Yeah, you lose your sense of balance. And it's very difficult. To, so in the triumph of procession, they would come along and they lop off your, your thumbs, both thumbs, and, and lop off your toes. And from that moment on, they realized that, hey, you could start as many rumors as you liked, that, hey, th th this general was going to be uh, revived and come against Rome again. But the people would never believe it, because they've seen the triumph of Prussians, and they've seen that the, the, the defeated enemy had his thumbs and toes removed. This is the word, uh, the, the, the three and newer. This is the, the word that we're talking about here in the scriptures. And this is what it's referring to. You need to that's the, the background to this particular story. And the same thing happened to the devil. This is what this verse is referring to. That Jesus not only conquered the devil, but he had a triumphant procession to display to the whole universe that Jesus was victorious. He rose from the grave. He was triumphant over the powers of death, hell, and the grave. Satan is a defeated foe. Amen. Never to be able to, to rise again. Never again uh, to, to be vanquished. Unfortunately, some Christians seem to have missed the triumphal procession that's mentioned in, in, in the scriptures. They've never seen the three and viewer. They've never seen this glorious procession where, where Jesus uh, actually overcame. The whole, uh, the whole of the universe and redeemed man saw what God did. So as a result of that, many people think that Satan is a powerful foe. I want to tell you, you can be a babe in Christ, saved one day, and have more and power, have more power than the devil yes, has. Exactly. I know that for a fact, because I, I led my sister to the Lord, and the next day there was a demonic manifestation, and it was about one o'clock in the morning, and she wanted me to come over and pray. I'm her brother. I said, you pray, you've got authority. <laughs> nice brother. <laughs> she prays. And the devil leaves. He says, man, when I prayed, there was this, before I prayed, there was this oppressive darkness, and I was terrified. But I said, when I said, in the name of Jesus, she was saved the day before. She said, in the name of Jesus, get out of here. And she said, a glorious light filled that room. And there was this a sense of light and relief and glory. And she said, the whole atmosphere changed. Saved one day. And she sent the devil packing. That's the power that you and I have. I want to close with this, and I, I, I'm like Paul, I won't go on for a whole, a whole long time. But, uh, so this is what, uh, how uh, Isaiah pictures the, the, the minds of Satan. And I want to read to you from, from verses 15 and 17 from Isaiah 14, speaking about the devil. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Those who see you stare at you. They ponder your fate. Is this the man that shook the earth and made kingdoms tremble? A man who made the world a desert and who overthrew cities and would not let the captives go? The devil is, is bound. He's, he's defeated. And people are going to look at him and say, Is this you? Did you pee anything? This is the kind of havoc you did? That's what Isaiah is telling us. 
So all heaven, the angels, the cherubim, the seraphim, redeemed man, have seen this triumphal parade that Jesus had done by rising again from the dead. And as a result of his resurrection, we have power over the devil. Revelation 12, 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They loved not their lives up to the death. Hallelujah. Jesus restored everything that was lost in the Garden of Eden. Christ didn't come just visit us in the cool of the day anymore. He comes to inhabit us. Yes. We become the temples of God. He fills us with His Holy Spirit. No longer visited, but we dwell in God and in Him we live and move and have our being. Are you excited? Amen. Give God the glory. Amen. The gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Praise God. Thank you, you, Jesus. Let's take a moment to bow our heads in in a word of prayer and consider this great and glorious truth that Jesus has really triumphed over the devil because he has united rule and reign in this life and over every circumstance and situation we find ourselves in. Thank you, Lord. Father, I want to lift my family, my brothers and sisters here in the church up before you. Uh, Lord, and I pray that, God, that we would understand, we have fresh revelation, fresh understanding, and new anointing of what it means to be saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed of God, empowered with the Holy Ghost. And I pray that, Father, that every every weapon that's come against us, Lord, will not prosper. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. I pray for deliverance for every single person in this place. I pray for healing for every sickness and disease, every illness that can be named. Lord, we pray and believe for healing. We rule and reign. We declare that we are the ones with power and authority. And Lord, we have all power over the devil and to cure diseases. And so, Father, we thank you. We speak life into your people. We speak blessing into your people. We loose from every chain and every shackle and every fetter. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.